The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Well, I just popped in to be friendly on my break. I mean, it's a good job I did. I know. Instead of having stairs down from the top floor, how about we have a slide? <gasps> I love that. <gasps> Can we have one of them big bouncy balls that you land on? Oh, wow, ignore them. In fact, disregard anything they say, OK? Uh, excuse me, but if one of our members wants to table a motion, then it has to be put to the vote. All those in favour of a slide with bouncy balls? Aye. We're not having a slide with bouncy balls. I think that motion has been carried. Welcome to episode 79 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial correction. Yes. Before we start, let's <laughs> so I think I'm going for a world record of this how long have I been sick for. This is why you need to go to the doctor. I don't have a doctor. I'm Gavin. And I think you should go to ReadyCare. <laughs> Not right now. I have a podcast to do, damn it. Yes, but soon. If you're still sick on well, if you're still sick on Monday after my procedure, you drop me off at home and you go get yourself taken care of, please. Nah. Yeah. Nope. Or you know, while I'm in my procedure, you can walk upstairs to the urgent care. Where is it that you're going? Oh no, actually, it's at uh, that. It's where it's, it was last time at Sparrow on uh, Grand River. That oh, building. God, not there again. Oh, you didn't like it there. No. Oh. It's inconvenient. How about they pay for parking and stuff? You don't have to pay for parking. Well, you have to. No, put not a at the hospital. In. No, no, not at the hospital. At the Grand River Place, right across from the Volkswagen dealership. Anyway, you don't have to. Pay How there. are you? Eh, I'm here. Yeah, I'm. I'm doing better than you. It was a bright, busy week this week. There's a lot going on. Uh, I don't know. I've just been very busy at work. I'm not feeling very well. I'm not able to take time off. Yeah. Well, you have Monday. Yeah. You say that like it's a good thing. It means that I have one day less to do the stuff that I need to do. Uh, but then you can come crawl into bed with me and sleep and rest and feel better. Well, I but I won't because I just worry that I have one day less to do the stuff that I need to do before Thanksgiving, which is next week. You know what? <clears throat> what? Weed is now legal in Michigan. Uh, we need to smoke you up. I don't really do weed. I don't think I've ever had weed. I've had hash and it didn't agree with me. I kind of... Are you familiar with the term whitey? No. So I would take a whitey. The whitey would be that I'd stare at a spot on the floor and not be able to move my head for two or three hours and then go to my head, basically. It's no fun. Now, Takes your mind off of things, though. Now just the smell of it. I can't believe we're talking about recreational drug use on the show. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't for me. We're, 
we're both over 21. <laughs> well, you try on. these things, you see how they go. <laughs> and then you never endorse it. No. <laughs> you never say, go on, you should try that. <laughs> but, you know, you're young, you do try it. I mean, the last time I had it was more than 20 years ago. Yeah. I don't know if it's got better. <laughs> I could roll them. I could roll a, I could roll a good old doobie. <laughs> I just couldn't smoke them. Smoke them if you got them. And if you ain't got them, <laughs> then you've hit rock bottom. As belief is the phrase. <laughs> what was your drug of choice? <laughs> Weed. Weed is really the only thing I've ever done. I'm, I'm a goody two shoes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Uh, <laughs> now just... that we've confessed our recreational <laughs> drug use, I guess it's better. Before the police come to the door. <laughs> It's legal here now. So what does that mean? You can just go to a store and like, because <clears throat> I went to Denver uh-huh. a couple of years ago now, and it was legal there. Yes. And me and a couple of co-workers wandered around Denver looking for where you would buy such a thing. Right, a dispensary. And we didn't find any. Uh-huh. But I wondered, how does one buy... How does one buy it? Do you just go in and ask for a quantity of it, or will they give you in a joint, or I think, or I in, think a, in a brownie, or how does that? You can buy edibles. Work? You can buy edibles. Um, in fact, you should have been able to find them in Denver. I don't know where you guys were looking. We were on the main strip. We uh-huh. were in the, the the heart of downtown. Huh. Twenty something street. You didn't see any like in you know, just like a regular general store up by the register. No hash brownie. It's the sort of thing that if, unless someone points it out to me, it could be under my nose, and I literally wouldn't know anything about it. But it you're was not curious. the most observant of people. Well, <laughs> if I don't notice something, I'm not going to get asked questions on it, and it's not going to be my responsibility. <laughs> it tends to be my my outlook on things. So anyway, that's my that's my Denver story, uh, such as it is. Uh, Stelly wants to go to Colorado for spring break. Did she tell you that? Yeah, I told her that if you can give me three grand, absolutely. Oh. Then he wants to go to Atlanta. <laughs> he wants to go to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I wonder if that would be cheaper or more expensive than going to Denver. Probably about six and two threes. Yeah, so if you can give me three grand, that's fine. <laughs> as long as somebody gives me three grand. How about if we get uh, three grand in our tax return? At the moment, I don't give a fuck one way or the other. I don't care if we never go anywhere for spring break. Oh, no! Ever again. Oh, no! So, that preamble thing that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, do you want to do that? Yes, please. Let's do that goddamn Cory News. We will be discussing him later. But Mark Chatterton returned to the cobbles this week to play his fourth character <laughs> the fifth time he's been on the show he's played four characters he played neville hawthorne in 86 neville. and then again came back as neville hawthorne in 2003 and 2005 so he was norris's ex-son-in-law that makes sense norris and neville so, sure yeah. why not he played gordon blinkhorn in 92 <laughs> gets the names doesn't he and Blinkhorn. Then Blinkhorn. And then Jerry Burton in 2005. And he is now... Well, 
we'll talk about it later. He plays the um he plays the uh, owner of the pawn shop. Yeah, somebody else mentioned that. Yeah, it was Mersey Tart. <laughs> is that where you got it from? No, no, it's hilarious. <laughs> I got it. Seriously, Scott, that's where she got it. No, I got it in an article in the Sun, which is hilarious, and and they quoted his tweet oh, about they did? it. Does he know about this? Which is hilarious because currently his his um moniker on Twitter is "Don't buy the Sun." No, he's he's from Liverpool. He hates the Sun, <laughs> as everyone from Liverpool does. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> so, in an article in the Sun. Is a tweet that says "Don't buy the sun." <laughs> that might be why he never mentioned it. Like, I didn't. I don't recall seeing it. <laughs> That's the second time. Oh no! Uh, I can't wait till we get quoted in one of these, and I and I well, read an article and I say, "Oh look, it's one of our it's one of our tweets." Well, they don't. Uh, Conversation Street interviewed uh, one of the writers a couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. and that got quoted all over the sun and the mirror and the uh, moon and the stars, right? And Oh, what was the other one? The Metro. And eventually they did give Conversation Street credit, but uh-huh. for the longest time they didn't. They just pretended that it was their exclusive. Right. Because they're just a shower of bastards, basically. Right. Yeah, this is what journalism is these days, is just quoting other people's tweets. Yep. Just and building an article around it. Trawling tweets for right. for content. Because nobody, cause nobody buys the paper anymore. Right. So they can't afford to pay journalists. So they get these, you know, interns and get teenagers on their lunch break to just yeah, copy and paste things together. These aren't journalists. But the, no. the newspapers and the owners of the newspapers are the scum of the earth. Yeah. And they should suck on a tailpipe. Ooh. Just awful people. How do you sleep at night? How do you sleep at night? I don't know. But if they went <laughs> away, it would be, I'd be hard-pressed to find Corey News. <laughs> That's not... Calling news, is it? No. Okay. Well, let's crack on because I'm not feeling very well. Let's remember. That's true. Apparently, our Kirky won't be voted off the island anytime soon, as Andrew Wymott has won the hearts and minds of hosts oh, and viewers he? alike. Oh, superb. And I'm a celebrity. I'm a what? I'm a celebrity. Okay. Odds of him winning are currently nine to four. That's pretty He's good. At the top. That's pretty. Unless good. everybody else is like one to seven to one to twenty. Right. So yeah. Apparently, uh, he was in some sort of trial with um, one of the other contestants and was doing running commentary as this guy was sliding around in fish guts trying to find something. (laughs) I need to try and find a way of uh, getting to see this. We watched it a couple of years ago, I remember. Yeah, but I think we watched it like a year after or something. No, because it was a time that Danny Baker was on it. Oh, yeah. And we watched that the night off. I need to find out a way of doing that because I really want to see because I imagine how, his name never be mentioned on this show again. <laughs> I, I have this idea in my head of how our Andy, our Kirky is Arthur in real life, and I imagine that if he is how I imagine him to be in real life, he's, he's absolutely going to win us. He's absolutely going to he's win us. Absolutely going to win us because he's going to be so sweet and charming right. and funny and just good fun. Yes. Well done. Haha. <laughs> Finally. Sad news, as former Corey star Shobna Gulati, who played Dev's wife Sunita, <laughs> has revealed that her mother Asha has passed from dementia. Our thoughts are with the family at this time. Oh, that's sad. It is sad. And that's Corey News then. That's Corey News. Our mailbag. I was feeling poorly last Friday. 
as I am today. Please send remedies. So I waited until Saturday to edit the podcast and in the meantime asked folks on Twitter for their own moment of the week. And surprisingly people responded. Of course they did. Chrissy's moment of the week was the scene where Carla told Nina that she had chosen Roy to be her family. 70s Street fan went for the scene between Daniel and Peter saying it's always good to see two of the show's best actors sharing an emotional moment. Debbie agreed with this, saying, I can't normally be bothered with Peter, but it was brilliantly done. And Jordy's favourite moment was when Michelle saw Irish Tina's bump. So those are alternate moments of the week from our listenership. Fair enough. Then John got back in touch. (laughs) (laughs) He really enjoyed our latest episode and he says that my pronunciation of uh, Pukekohe was spot on too. Yay! Yeah, I had a I had help on that, I have to say. My friend in Auckland told me how to oh. phonetically pronounce that. Well, that was nice of them. <clears throat> yes. Yes, being burnt and sliced sounds like a good end for Tim's fucking dad, he says. And here's where John really gets into the spirit of what we do around here. Roy has a gas stove and a bacon slicer. Tim's Ooh. fucking dad breaks into Roy's rolls with a dastardly plan to start a delayed fire to get rid of a competitor in the Corey Fine Dining Stakes. Ooh. Things start to go wrong immediately and his shirt sleeve catches fire. <laughs> Beaten at it with his other hand, he suddenly has two burning mitts. Panicking, he searches for a tap but slips in a pool of grease Roy's slovenly niece, who now works there naturally, missed and ends up with his head in perfect position on the bacon slicer. Yay! As he thrashes about, he gets a cord <laughs> tangled round his neck. On fire, all tangled up with the flex, thrashing around, he accidentally flicks a switch on the bacon slicer. Yes! Dot, 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 dot. dot. <laughs> oh, this sounds delightful. He continues... Make it so, Corey, make it so... He's just watched two episodes uh, for this week. What the heck did Adam have in his head? <laughs> when he first appeared walking down the street with Michelle, I had no idea who he was and no, what was going neither. on. I was like, oh, who's this new guy? Irish Tina had some good lines. His favourite being was when Pathetic Robert was whining and she cut him down with her. Ah, you poor wee man. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was good. Thanks, John. And then we got uh, another new correspondent from Gail from Ontario. Yay, we love Ontario. Hi, Helen and Gavin, she says. Hiya. Canada and I have been enjoying your <laughs> your podcasts for the last couple of months. We are quite popular in Canada. As I watch in Canada, my podcast listening is a week behind you and the UK podcasters. Like you guys, I absolutely hate Tim's dad and the way he's treating Yasmin. And I completely agree with Helen that the pharmacist that was arrested at the hospital is not the same guy that Gary was threatening at his shop, except that it really was. I'm sorry. I also wondered why Faye was in the shop in the dark wearing her coat. Take care, and that I look weird. forward to your next podcast. We should look into seeing if there are any like soap conventions in uh, in Canada, and see if they would want us to do a panel on Coronation <laughs> Street, or do a live broadcast or something. A live podcast. We should look into that. I do like cons, as in conventions. What? Such, soap soap opera conventions happen. Yeah, and and we do a podcast about one that's very popular in Canada. Uh, and we're very, very popular. And we're very popular in Canada. Very popular. Yes, we're very popular in Canada. Justin Trudeau listens to us. <laughs> the shop. Hang <laughs> seat corner. Hi, Justin. And his nice, his nice tight tush. 
There's nothing in hindsight corner. There's nothing in hindsight corner. Ah, but wait, no, there was something last week that I said next time on hindsight corner. Yeah, but we didn't get it wrong. Oh, we didn't. No. What was it? I can't remember. Oh. It's time now for last year tonight. Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You really, you know, one of the benefits of you being sick is that you really capture. The nasalliness of th- John Oliver's voice. It fell in my head like it was more John Oliver this you, week. You were very, you were very John Oliver. <laughs> Thank you very much. Who also listens to our show. Hi, John. <laughs> why are you just now, why are you lying about all this? Because <laughs> I'm slightly delirious and I don't know when you're lying <laughs> and when you're not. Because if you speak it, you make it so. <laughs> I'm speaking it into truth. Anyway, this time last year, our episode was called Silk Cut Shandy, which was our most downloaded episode ever, and I have no idea why, unless the mention of a low-tar cigarette is somewhat appealing to podcast listeners. The name came from a drink made from cigarette ends that prisoners consume to get a stay in the hospital wing. Yeah, it's gross. I was Gavin, and you were Helen. This might have been what? the last time you were Helen. <laughs> this was our post-Thanksgiving episode, and we were both a little exhausted by it all, and remarkably, a little under the weather. Uh-huh. This did not represent our best work, I didn't think, listening back to it. <laughs> Hindsight corner was that we got the relationship between Adam and Tracy correct. <clears throat> that was it. Our preamble back then lasted for four minutes. Last wow. week, we clocked up 20. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan figured out that Ali killed Ronan and threatens the Doberman to the cops, and Robert decides that now would be a great time to bring up having a baby with Michelle. Oh, I remember that. Gemma's dating someone called Spike. Oh, I remember Spike. He had a Bill Audie tattoo on his inner thigh. (laughs) And Emma's pretending to be coaching Chesney on how to be the perfect boyfriend. Yep, I remember that too. Hope is suspended from school for biting a teacher. And Brian's bullying from Phil the Wank is in full flight. Ugh, I hated that storyline. Gemma meets up with Duncan, who somehow manages to convince her into becoming unsure of Sally's innocence. Our moment of the week was Chesney wanted to date Emma... And our boring moment of the week was something to do with Mary and Angie. I think they had a post-Jude conversation that was kind of dull. Oh, okay. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes. You are sick. Yeah. Let's get this done. I'm only 18 minutes so far. Oh. That's an improvement on last week. This is how committed he is to you people. (laughs) He is sick. He's on his last legs. He's about ready to pass out. I really want to go in my bed. Our first storyline tonight is... Oh, I haven't given this a name. That's fine. What is it? Daniel's Bit is my <laughs> is my temporary title. That'll just have to do. Yay. So, on Monday, there's Daniel's Bit of the storyline, and then there's the Bernie part of it. And I kind of smoosh them together on Monday, and then they kind of go their separate ways after that, just so you know. Uh-huh. On Monday. At number one, Peter and Ken are getting ready for the funeral. Ken's still got that call from last week, but it's more concerned about Daniel and his whereabouts. And just like that... Daniel turns up with a beshatted Bernie. Bernie? Bertie. Bertie, yes. Bernie hasn't shot herself. No, not, not yet. that we know of. <laughs> but Daniel's not changed his mind. He's doing this for Bertie, but he still doesn't have any intention of going to the funeral himself, and he heads back to his flat. So Daniel and Bertie get back to the flat, and immediately they go over to the laptop that's on the breakfast table and see that Sinead is the screensaver. So this doesn't really help Daniel at all. And, that- and amazingly, that laptop still has battery life after a week of nobody being in that house and charging it. It still has battery life. That's a good laptop, that. Un, 
unbelievable. Ma, that's the most iPad, fake part of this whole soap. My iPad holds a charge pretty well. Not for a week. Yeah, though. for a week. It would be okay after a week. I don't think so. Yeah, it loses about ten percent in a day if it's it's sleeping. So if it was fully charged, it'd be okay after a week. Well, but our laptops would be absolutely fucked. So Daniel's taking notes from the laptop when Beth arrives and she's interested in taking Bertie to the funeral and Daniel has packed a bag for them. Beth wants to know why Daniel won't go and he blames not believing in God. <laughs> and Beth doesn't believe either but thinks that the funeral is for them. This is bullshit and she forces him to get fucking ready. And she irons his shirt while Daniel does what he's told. I mean, lots of people go to funerals that don't believe in God. Yeah. That's, it's a poor excuse though, Daniel. Well, he's just making it up, isn't he? Right, yeah. The whole street, including a coffin, Ken Barlow, watch the funeral cortege move along the street. Then Beth comes out with Daniel, much to the annoyance of the other tinkers. And in the back of the hearse, it seems that Sinead's coffin appears to be a picnic hamper. <laughs> you didn't see that? No, but when they um, are throwing the dirt on her <clears> later, <throat> it's a regular coffin. We'll have to check that because if it is, then they fucked up the continuity. <laughs> in the church, Billy's speech is 105% Billy as he sings Sinead's praises. Adam appears to be mourning his own haircut. Daniel, <laughs> Daniel fidgets as Billy Such talks. Such a bad haircut. He's got his head up against a, a pillar, like he's right. nursing a hangover and he just wants the coolness of right. the stone against his head. But another way to look at it is he's really, really disappointed in his haircut. As he should be. So Daniel fidgets as Billy talks and then... Daniel interrupts proceedings. Daniel thanks Beth for her wise words and an ironing his shirt, and then seems to think this is a great time to talk about the likelihood of heaven and God and how it's all in his imagination. He'd love to believe, but he can't, and he apologises for not being there to help organise things and for letting Sinead down, and he seems to enjoy talking about himself more than he's talking about Sinead. Well, par for the course. <laughs> Meanwhile, David and Bethany are at the barbers, and she's another one full of self-pity for falling in love with someone who's married to someone dying of cancer. Yeah. David reminds her that people forgive and move on, and he's walking proof of this. Then Peter and Carla chat about Ken's develop developing cold, and as the camera pans away, we see the door to Daniel's flat isn't quite shut properly. And then we see somebody go in and, and shut it all the way. At Sinead's grave, Daniel continues the me pity fest and wonders if he'd be better spending his time in the flat watching the three hours of videos that she left behind. Then he says he's off to apologise to her family for being such a dick. Okay, and also, this annoyed me so much. Sinead made those videos for Bertie. <laughs> and yet Daniel's acting like she made them for him. I understand that he's finding comfort in those videos. But they're not for him. Right. Well, shouldn't, they can be for both of them, can't they? Shouldn't, shouldn't he wait and watch them with Bertie once Bertie is old enough to get something out of them? Oh, he's never going to wait for, what, four years? Five years? to Maybe two. Everyone else decamps to the rovers and Daniel comes in to silence. Don't worry, says Peter. They all hate you. Johnny is sorry <laughs> for his loss and so is Kirk. And so is some bald bloke with glasses who doesn't say anything. Aw. Tim loved the speech, which is damning with faint praise, and offers Daniel to come see the horse. Uh, yes. <laughs> Children love horses. Meanwhile, back at the flat, some guy's going through all of Daniel's stuff. Well, some person is going through all of Daniel's stuff. 
we can't tell if it's a man or a woman at this point. Usually a man, is, I think, isn't it? Well, yeah. But all we see really are the black gloves and everything. And we don't see a face, so we know it's somebody we know. It's Gary. <laughs> Daniel who, owes him money. And whoever it is, nicks the laptop. Back at the Rovers, Daniel palms Bertie off onto Beth and thanks other tinkers for all their hard work. Craig, you know what was weird about that scene? Sorry, I know I'm, I keep interrupting you. Yes, you're, you're quite chatty. Because that's... Your what job. the show is about, right. right. Whoever it is, before they stole the laptop, they opened it <laughs> to right. look at the To make sure there was picture. a charge in it. <laughs> and then shut it. And then put it in there. You know, this is a person who's been rifling through everything and just dumping jewelry willy-nilly without looking to see if it's worth anything or anything. You see a laptop on the table. You just take it. I think you just you take it. You don't open it. Yeah. A thief would not open it just so we could see it's Sinead and every and that that picture again and go aw. <laughs> I don't know. Does Kel know? I don't think Kel knows either of them. Kel hasn't he knows, met. He knows. He knows of a, them. He knows there's a funeral though. Right. He knows. Not, of, that, uh, not good, that we good, know that this is Kel. Right. I'm just yeah. just throwing that out there. <laughs> I, I don't think Evelyn knows Spoiler much. Alert. Yeah. Anyway, Craig wants to speak with Daniel but doesn't know what to say. Meanwhile, Emma is enjoying singing Little Mix behind the bar until Johnny tells her to shut the fuck up. But then, um, somebody said it's okay. Sinead loved Little Mix. Uh-huh. So. It's what Sinead would have wanted. It's what Sinead would have wanted. wanted Emma, Emma singing to sing Little, Little Mix. Mix behind the bar. Yes. Chesney, who's dressed up like a comedian from the 1970s, gives his... Or a used car salesman. Either or. I think he's, uh... Is this flower squirt water? That's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> he gives his condolences to Daniel and then starts blubbering in Daniel's arms again. And he meant to go and see more of Sinead while she was here but was too scared and Daniel decides to take his anger out on Chesney like the dick he is. That was, I wanted to punch Daniel in the face. <laughs> like, why are you an asshole? You're not the only one who gets to mourn Sinead. It's interesting that he you chose uh, Chesney to be... His whipping boy. Right, yeah. because he knows that if he tried it with anybody else, he'd just like... Right. There's also the fact that, you know, Sinead and, and Chesney had... History. Romantic yes. history. So, you know, he's like, I'm the only one who's allowed to love her and mourn her that's had sex with her, mm-hmm. apparently. I think we're meant to be more sympathetic to Daniel. But we're not. <laughs> really not, not in this, this scene. There are moments this week where I am sympathetic to Daniel, but it's not in this scene. No, it's not in this scene. Beth is loudly annoyed at everyone being so miserable. This isn't what Sinead would have wanted. And she goes to the Duke and she puts Le Freak on. This is what Sinead would have wanted. <laughs> Apparently so. Later, Peter finds Carl and Daniel in the community garden. Daniel says this is a special place because he got married here. <coughs> oh, he didn't. No, you didn't. He and Bertie are off, <laughs> are ready to call it a day. Oops. He and Bertie are ready to call it a day and everyone agrees to walk Daniel home. So Daniel and the others come in to find the ransacked flat and Peter sends him and Carl around to number one while he calls the police. And number one, Daniel has managed to find the whiskey. Who would do something like this? What were they after? They didn't have anything of any value except <gasps> the laptop. Oh, the laptop! Carla tells him to breathe. Everything will be okay. And back at the flat, the police are there and need a list of everything taken, which Peter, I don't think, would be able to give him. No. Carla calls him and tells him about, about the laptop, which Peter confirms is gone. This is really going to break Daniel's heart all over again, but we were asked to believe that Daniel didn't 
go back round to the flat to see if the laptop was was still there. Not yet. Meanwhile, let's jump back and talk about Bernie's bit and all this. You mean Bertie? No, Bernie. Bernie meets Billy in Roy's Rose and he hands over the keys to the church giving her instructions on what to clean ahead of the funeral. She promises not to let him down and just at that, Ken comes in and Billy... And just at that, Kel comes in and Billy gives him the stink eye. Autocorrect changes Kel to Ken. And I don't always catch it. Hilarious. So Paul sees Kel Can and Bernie... Can you imagine Ken and Bernie together? Oh, and then Ken and... No. <clears throat> like Kel and Claudia? Oh. Paul, see- oh. Paul sees <laughs> Kel and Bernie loading up the car with cleaning stuff. And Bernie explains about a new job, which takes Paul by surprise. And he is not happy. He bursts into Billy's anger that Billy gave his mum a job. But uh, Billy did it to make things better. Paul says it's not Billy's problem, but Billy disagrees because he says that he loves Paul. Aww. And this shuts Paul up. Aww. But he runs away. Aww. And he runs into David at the Rovers and reveals his involvement in getting Josh to change his mind. Paul knows everything and asks David what made him tell people. David explains that it was eaten away at him and he had to tell someone so he told Shona. Plus he saw what happened to Aidan. This all seems to make sense to Paul and he rushes off again. And later David sees Billy and explains what happened with Paul, calling Paul a good bloke and remarking that life is too short. And later Mm -hmm. Billy gets a text that warms the cockles of his heart, amongst other things. (laughs) There was a nice bit here. I think I uh, was speaking with... Cory Girl on Twitter about this. Yeah. Where the the whole conversation with David and Paul's really, really good. It was it's, it was it's, wonderful. It's brilliant because it shows two men who've had a trauma a similar traumatic experience talking to one another and commiserating with one another and being honest with one another. And that's great. We need to see more of that on TV. But even even more so because David didn't know that Paul's been through anything. Apart from the fact he was in, he kind of knows in jail. I don't think he knew anything about it. Remember when um, Billy went to see David in prison to tell him about to ask his advice. Oh yeah, maybe maybe talked about that. Yeah, but still, it was great because Paul said, "Look, I don't want to intrude, uh-huh. and if you don't want to talk about it, and, and David, David was like, like nope, yeah. whatevs." Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, the fact that he just kind of took it in his stride and wasn't demasculated about it. Yeah, or, it was lovely. Yeah, very, I like very it. well done. Yes. I contended for a moment of the week, I would have said. We have many. So, back home, Billy sees Paul, who apologises for him now. He wants Billy in his life in the hug, and then Paul explains how useful it was speaking with David, who has things so clear. And Paul says he wants to be with Billy, and he wants Billy to be proud. And they smooch. And I said, Aww. I, I I literally, when I was watching that, was like, oh, oh, it's so cute. I love it. Yay. This has been months in the making. Yes. I think it was April when they had the little moment where they were walking down the street together. Right. Delivering the newspapers. Remember yep, that? I remember that. And it went, looked like it was going to happen. And then it looked like it definitely wasn't going to happen. It was going to happen. No, they finally got it back together again. Yes. That's nice. So on Wednesday, Carla goes round to see Daniel. Ken's off to the medical centre to get that cough checked out finally. Nobody cares. She's waited overnight to tell him that the laptop was taken. So Daniel hasn't gone round. Oh. <laughs> who, who, who are you su- suggesting sucked off who? Does it matter? <laughs> Both. 
Carla and Daniel? No. Oh, you're going back to okay. that for a long time now. <laughs> Waiting for you to notice. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking down. I know, you're distracted. Uh, so anyway, all the videos are gone and Carla is optimistic that they'll catch the culprit. Okay. Ba- based on I, nothing whatsoever. I have a question. Sure. Remember, oh, maybe four months ago when... July. Brian. Brian. Spilled coffee. Spilled coffee. On Daniel's laptop. Oh, that was more than four months ago. And fried it. And he and Kathy were freaking out and going all over the place and seeing if they could get it fixed and ended up buying him a new one and everything. Uh-huh. And felt so bad because, you know, Daniel's lost everything. And they confess this to Sinead and Sinead says what? Oh, it's fine because Daniel backs everything up to the cloud. But maybe Sinead doesn't. Right. But Daniel was aware of these videos. And he didn't back them up to the cloud, or he doesn't have a program on his laptop where things back up to the cloud automatically when you save them. Well, he addresses us because he kind of kicks himself for not backing anything up. He does that later. Right, but these files are saved to the laptop. When he, when somebody, when whoever saved them saved them, the option to save them to the cloud should have been the thing that was chosen automatically. If he backs everything up to the cloud. But maybe Sinead doesn't. But it was Daniel's laptop. Yeah, but it was Sinead that made the videos. Still. I would imagine something this important, she would have backed it up to the cloud. Well, maybe she had other things to think about. Like dying. <laughs> Later. Maybe she was worried about herself getting backed up to the cloud. Oh. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened. I've got a cold. I'm not heartless. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I've got a cold. I'm also heartless. You you didn't see that Black Mirror episode. You should watch that. The Santa... Later, Carla explains to Peter that Daniel was upset but was oddly calm about it. Ken has now gone to hospital to get checked out and still no one seems that fussed. <laughs> Daniel gets a text from Adam asking to meet up for lunch and to show off his new hairdo. <laughs> no. Daniel's at the bistro with a thoughtless robot. you know Robert. what that hairdo reminds me of? Joey Fatone in 1994. Joey. Joey Remember Fatone. Joey Fatone? Yeah, he, he, he damaged the name of, the good name of Joey. <laughs> I remember. From Friends. It I reminds think. me of Joey Fatone's oh, no, haircut. Joey Botafuco? Yeah, completely a different, different person. Joey. Yes. Joey Fatone was in. Uh, New Kids on the Block. No. Back, back, Backstreet Boys. Was it? I'm glad it was I either, don't know this. It was either Backstreet Boys or anything. And he was also in uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Okay, so Daniel's at the bistro when a thoughtless Robert asks about the robbery and hopes that Daniel had insurance, which Daniel says that he did. Adam comes along and tells Daniel the police are looking into it, but there's a spate of robberies recently, and Adam says he shouldn't treat it as personal, but Daniel has other ideas. He's done with being the victim and he storms off. And he storms off to the police station to shout at police. Craig comes in and pulls him off, but not like that. Daniel continues to shout at Craig, who promises to speak to folk to speed things up. He suggests that they check round some pawn shops tomorrow, and Daniel rushes off, looking like he's not prepared to wait until then. Joey Fatone's daughter goes to MSU. We might actually accidentally see Joey Fatone around campus. That's quite exciting. I didn't know that. 
Daniel's in one of Manchester's many Michelin-starred pawn shops. He's rude to the owner, demanding to see a laptop in one of the display cabinets. He says it's his fucking laptop, and he wants it back, right? And aren't you Doris's step ex step <laughs> son in law? What's your name again? Is it Neville? Is it Gordon? Is it Jerry? I can't remember what his name is this time. It's not any of those. Pawn shop guy. <laughs> I don't think he has a name. Yeah, because he introduces himself to Peter later. My Does name. He? Yeah. The pawn shop owner isn't impressed and tells Daniel to do one. Instead, Daniel gets a golf club and starts smashing the place up. Give me that laptop or I destroy your shop, you threatens. Meanwhile, the owner has already pushed the panic button. The police and Craig are quick to arrive as the pawn shop owner insists that the laptop has been there for three weeks that it couldn't possibly have been stolen. Daniel is arrested and carted off and carted off as he tells Craig to keep an eye on that laptop. Joey Fatone still has Wait, a haircut. Give a fucking break about Joey Fatone. Do you know how much I care about Joey Fatone? <laughs> Not one fucking bit. <laughs> but Adam stole Joey Fatone's hair is the problem. And you've said that now three times. He, he used to have Justin Timberlake's hair circa around the same time with Justin Timberlake. No, he didn't. He had Bob Marley's hair. <laughs> Adam fills in Peter about Daniel going to the police station while Peter announces that Ken is in hospital now with pneumonia. Still, no one gives a fuck about Ken. And seriously, pneumonia is not fun. When you're in your I, 80s? When even if you're not in your 80s, I had pneumonia once and I was in the hospital. It was awful. Peter and Adam are but at the it's station especially bad in your 80s. and have been brought up to speed with events of the day. Ken's going to die. Craig calls Daniel obsessed, which is rich. They need the shop owner to drop the charges, so Peter goes to have a word. He explains the circumstances, and the owner explains about the three-week laptop thing. He hasn't got a swinging brick for a heart in here, but he has a living to make. Peter pleads Daniel's case, and the owner seems to consider it. Adam's at the cop shop now, and he's explaining to the police about Daniel's circumstances. Daniel will not shut up about that laptop and doesn't care that the pawn shop owner will not be pressing charges, but he changes his tune when the police confirm that it wasn't his laptop in the first place. They've checked it out. The pawn shop guy's story checks out. Yeah, this isn't your laptop. You need to calm down. Yeah. What was our tangent of the week last week? Did you post one? Yeah. What was it? That uh, other thing that you did to death <laughs> last week. I can't remember what it was. Macklemore. Oh, Macklemore. <laughs> Back home, Daniel's on... I'll tell you what it's not going to be. Out of spite. Oh, it's not going to be that joy bastard. No. Please. Back home, Daniel's on the vino, and Adam tells Daniel how lucky he's been today. Daniel admits he's a mess and has no idea what's going on with Bertie. Maybe it would be better if Bertie would be better off. That doesn't make sense. Maybe it would be, be, maybe it would be better if Bertie got you, on without him. You could do it. Adam says he has every right to be overwhelmed but he can't shut down, his son needs him take one day at a time and Daniel blames himself for not spending 10 minutes taking copies of the videos and now her fears are going to come true because Sinead was worried that she was just going to be a character in a story to Bertie it's gone and she's gone Bertie's been robbed and it's entirely Daniel's fault yep (laughs) sure he's just He's, there are times it just feels like he's beating himself up just to beat himself up, doesn't it? Yeah. He was better th- that day, though. Than, well, no, he wasn't, because that whole laptop thing was quite annoying. Oh, yeah, when he's, like, swinging the golf club. <sighs> you right. He's he, And he's being really entitled. Uh-huh. Like, that looks exactly like my laptop. It Therefore, must it be my, my laptop. laptop. In the first pawn shop I walk into. <laughs> right. Yikes. <sighs> so... On Friday. That was a nice looking punch. 
Peter finds uh, Daniel some hangover pills to help him get all that venom out of his system. Nice. Claudia comes downstairs and reminds if anyone is interested, Ken is still in hospital. <laughs> but no one's interested. Yeah. In fact, Daniel would rather make a start clearing out the flat and he'd rather do it on his own. If, if I was there, I would have gotten him a sausage and egg McMuffin for his hangover. That's my hangover cure of choice, is a sausage and egg McMuffin. Mm. They kind of make me feel sick now. <laughs> the, I can't really eat them. The grease just really just sucks up all the alcohol. I need to get some iron brew. Which it's... we'll talk about in our soda episode of Common Language, which we'll be recording. That's right. Sometime this weekend, I think. Yes. And I talk about Iron Brew for probably 45 minutes. Yay! I miss Iron Brew. I love Iron Brew. Beth is having a tough time at the Knicker Factory slash community centre. Did you know they now make ginger-flavoured Iron Brew? For the holidays? Anyway. (laughs) Kirk suggests that she goes to see Daniel and maybe help him tidy up. The flat is in a state right enough, but Daniel focuses on one of Sinead's broken mummy mugs. And this is enough to set him off. And later Beth comes in and finds Daniel crying in the bedroom. He thought he could get past this, but Sinead is everywhere. And Beth comforts him as he continues to sob. Yeah, and that was nice. Yeah, he's better that, today. That, that was, yeah, that was the best Daniel scene of the week. Later Daniel has let Carla and Peter look after Bertie and goes off on his own somewhere while Peter and Carla argue about a big winter coat. Daniel's about to head into the Rovers when he sees Bethany, but they both reckon it's best that they go their separate ways. Bethany's going off with James and Daniel looks on and... Is he looking longingly? I don't. He has a... I don't know. He has a, a long look anyway. I don't anyway. care. Later still, a pish Daniel gets back to number one and he notes Peter and Carla's serious faces. They explain that Bertie's asleep and it'd probably be better if Daniel just leaves him where he is tonight. Daniel's agreeable and is about to head back to the pub, but Peter manages to get him to stay with a promise of food. Yeah. And that's as far as we get with that storyline tonight. Yes. So, so Daniel is, is following in his brother's footsteps then. Yeah. On, on, the, on the long, hard road of alcoholism. It's a bit of an easy road to take, isn't it? Man loses wife, man is depressed, man, man drinks, too, drinks, too, much. drinks too much. Even though he has small baby to take care of. Right. The baby. <laughs> I found that uh, scene with Peter and Carla in the community garden with, with Bertie really funny. Where Peter's like, you ever you ever think maybe? And Carla's like, hell no. <laughs> That's funny. GTF. There's a couple of nice little moments with Carla and Peter this week. Yeah, it's really just fan service, isn't it? To all those uh, fan Peter service and, and, and filler. What 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 do we call Peter and Carla's fans? How how can we mash their names? Carter, they're pa- Carters. Parla, I think, or Perla. I think Carter works better. They're Carters. <sighs> Carla, Peter, Carter. Oh, I, I, as sophisticated as it is, I, I figured it <laughs> out, but. Mm, I'm not sure. It's better than Perla. That sounds like a sex act. Explain the sex act. You know, like don't, don't, <laughs> don't. I was kind of down on Daniel last week because he he I insisted just... on saying "make love," which <laughs> just broke me a little bit. And I was hoping oh, that I was going to be... post a, a video of that SNL skit. I'll still have to do that. I was hoping he was going to be a little bit better this week. And he 
was a little bit. I thought the writing was certainly better. I, I'm not complaining about his acting at all. At all. But they're giving him just annoying stuff to deal with. And right. I get that he's he's grieving. And I get that people grieve in a different way from each other. And I get right. that people do things that... But yeah. it's not making for hugely... The mummy mug kind of broke my heart. The mummy mug. See, that was a nice touch, and he's trying to put it back together, and then he just gives up. But he's still kind of clutching it when he's in the. Yep. He's taking it with him into the bedroom, yep. and he's still clutching it. Yep. You can imagine it might be cutting into his hands a little bit. Yeah, I thought while so. While he's he's kneeling by the bed and smelling her shirt or whatever it was. Let's let's go with shirt. <laughs> and just bawling, and the way. And the way Beth goes in there and puts her arms around him and says, oh, it's okay, sweetheart, it's okay. And, you know, it was a beautiful moment where they, you know, where they've made up in in this just unbearable sense of grief and everything. And she takes the mug away and she says, oh, the mummy mug and we'll get it fixed. We'll glue it back together and, and everything. It's just moment of the week contender right there. Yeah. The thing that I liked about that the most was that Beth has been Daniel's harshest critic Yes. Uh, throughout this, and yet it looks like she's going to be his salvation. Yes. Which is an interesting Which little nice. development. Yeah. Yes. Because, let's remember, she said the hardest part about the whole Daniel-Bethany thing is that she genuinely liked Daniel. Mm-hmm. Which whereas, Kirk found hard to believe. Whereas... But he's not paying attention. <laughs> whereas I don't... You know, he's, he's busy thinking about... Fish guts right. on the island or the jungle. It's not an island, is it? Australia, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I know that the continent and country of Australia is an island, but that's not. Oh right, okay. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like little island. No, They're not on a little island. No, they can drive to Sydney. It would probably take them like. 12 hours or something. But I'm not sure where it is. I, I think it somewhere is around Australia, about yeah. New South Wales somewhere. But Anyway. Our next storyline tonight. <laughs> Isn't Michelle wonderful? No. Our next storyline tonight. Oh no, let's do that one after all. <laughs> oh, Michelle. She's, she's the next contender for the sausage slicer. Although she'd probably <laughs> take that sausage slicer up and, and use it on Robert. Or at least part of Robert. I'm confused. Because I'm not sure if we're meant to be on Michelle's side through all this. I don't think we're supposed to be on anyone's side in this. Except Vicky. Vicky is the only... Or Irish Tina Oh, let's just call her Vicky. It's fine. Is the only actual victim in all of this. Mm -hmm. Because Robert initiated that relationship with her. You know, because she and Tyler had already moved away at that point because of the whole Amy stuff. They'd already left right. the community. And Robert and Michelle had split up because of right. Robert's baby fever. Right. So, none of this is Vicky's fault. Is any of it Michelle's fault? Yes, because she's a bitch. <laughs> See, I think it is her fault as well. I think... <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I, I can articulate I, why. I think, but... a, I think there are aspects of her personality that Robert is aware of and that's why he's been afraid to confess all of this to her all the way. The one person who is 100% at fault here and we are not supposed and we are not supposed to sympathize with at all is Robert. 
And we don't. And we don't. We really don't. Never come close to sympathising with Robert. Stupid face. And his stupid necklace that he... All that whole stupid <laughs> thing. The, the, the countless lies. And the stupid lies. Because Michelle has been awful to so many characters on the street. And it's just very catty. A few weeks ago she was a bit of a bitch to Maria, remember? And not a likable character. And that's fine. Having unlikable characters is kind of what makes a soap great. But it's funny because we have unlikable characters on the show that we adore. Tracy, for example. We love Tracy. Tracy's killed a man. Yep, and we'll kill again. We'll kill again, (laughs) and we love her. Yep. Leanne can sometimes be... Yeah, she's a bit of a bitch Unlikable. And... Even Some, started uh, off completely unlikable, and we still loved her, th- even when <laughs> absolutely when we weren't supposed she to. She was delightful as an unlikable character. Yep. You know, Michelle, on the other hand, is unlikable in a way that does not it, it. None of it endears us to her. She's unlikable in the same way that Kate was unlikable. Yeah. It's a family trait. Yeah. There's there's a there's a you know there's a classism there. That I think is part of the problem. The entitlement. Because she feels entitled. She feels like she's better than everybody else on the street. You know, she goes through these things and blames other people. She insults other people and kicks them when they're down. So that even when bad things happen to her and we're supposed to be sympathetic to her. Rory, for example. Yes. At this point, nobody sympathizes with her about Rory because she kind of beat that dead horse. It was a baby. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So, uh, I don't know. Shall we talk about that this week then? (laughs) Well, we have to. Sure. So on Monday, at the Bistro, Michelle has filled Carla in on all the shenanigans from last week and Carla's surprised that Robert is working in the kitchen and not dead in the ditch. In comes Robert and Michelle's up front saying that Carla knows everything but won't breathe a word to anyone. Carla is suspicious, right, Carla. but she's got a funeral to get to. Michelle sends Robert off to sort things with Irish Tina vis-a-vis visitation. And Robert is appreciative and off he goes, without being suspicious at all that Michelle's been reasonable about this. Because he's dumb. Immediately, Michelle is on the phone to someone called Jonathan, who seems to be the bistro accountant. Then later, Adam and Michelle meet up for that all-important meeting that uh, Michelle insisted on bugging Adam about, even though it was... The day of of Sinead's funeral. funeral. Because she doesn't care about anybody else. Adam puts Michelle's mind at ease. Seemingly, non-disclosure agreements are really hard to enforce, and Ray will probably give up before it sees the inside of a court. Then Michelle gets to the main event. She wants to take Robert to the cleaners and explains about the Irish Tina thing. Adam blinks three times. <laughs> How do I get roped into this shite, he says to himself. By being the only lawyer. Who isn't Imran. <laughs> and where has Imran been? Or Charlie, Paula. where? Charlie, where are you? Or Paula, yeah, Paula's still there. Where's Paula? Robert Paula's isn't really having, good at this. Robert isn't having the easiest time of it around the Irish Tina's. <laughs> Tyler comes in and goes for Robert's throat. Tyler used to look up to Robert, but now he hates him. Robert says he didn't mean for anyone to get hurt and just wants to talk about the baby. He refuses to walk away from the that baby. child and wants to be involved. The and baby. then Irish Tina makes a surprising observation. She reckons that he and Michelle have no chance of making it. She's right. 
and gives him one last opportunity to play happy families with her and Tyler. Which astounded me. Astounded me that she was willing. It, it's got to be baby brain. That isn't a commitment he can make. This is the first sign of common sense he seems to have uh, displayed for the past six months. There's something else. And he explains that he and Michelle are back together again. No chance, says Irish Tina. She looked like she was going to chop. <laughs> she looked like she was going to chop off his one good one. And the last time, the last time that <laughs> she was Roy there, with Roy sausage slicer, he says he's sorry. She says he's dead to her and her family, and she tells him to leave. Then Callum meets up with Michelle to quiz her on what's going on. Michelle can't go into details, but plans her afoot to take the bistro from under Robert's nose. Yeah, and she'll do it too. She will. On Wednesday then, Robert nabs Adam in the bistro and forewarns him that he has a friend who has women problems and he could do with some advice. Adam knows what Robert's talking about. He's talking about himself. But pretends pretends not to know what he's talking about. Yeah, and says that they will arrange to meet later. Then Irish Tina turns up on Coronation Street, but not to see Robert. She's there to see Michelle, but he catches her in time and wants to talk to her and he drags her back to the flat. She was going to yell at Michelle, but she can't be bothered anymore. A bit risky. Now Robert's ruined her life and he doesn't care. He says he does and he cares about the baby. She leaves, but Robert needs to know that his baby's going to be okay. I'll send you a postcard, she says. Then at the bistro, Michelle tells Robert that she could have sworn that she saw Irish Tina on the street earlier. And Robert, rather than lying, confirms it. Michelle never wants to see her again. Robert wants to give the bistro everything they've got now. Why don't they go for that franchise thing themselves? They don't need Ray. And Michelle seems to like the sound of that. He kisses her and she wipes it off the first chance that she gets so yeah, she liked, doesn't get Robert Cooties. I liked that bit. Right. Where, like, as she's walking away, she goes, Bleh. Right. And then kind of shakes her hand a little bit, wipes her hand on it, and then look at her face. And goes, Tig injected. <laughs> and she injects herself for life and death in all games and no black magic. You're adorable. Mm-hmm. I remember doing that with the kids as we walked. Uh, the, what'd you call it? In DC? Between the Washington Monument and Lincoln. The mall? The mall. We walked the mall playing Tig Injected. It was great. Until I don't it, remember that. Until it wasn't. It got out of hand fairly quickly. Well, yes, because they're siblings. Right. And they already believe that one another has cooties. <laughs> so, do you think Michelle's going to go through with this? Of course she is. Taking Robert to the cleaners. Of course she is. And like... And publicly humiliating him and emasculating him for all she's worth. I kind of figured yeah. that she and uh, Irish Steel would get get no together. And, uh... No chance. Michelle is not going to team up with somebody from another class. Michelle called Irish Tina a was that a skank last week? A skank. Week? And Irish Tina called Michelle something this week. A that slag. Was, was it a slag? It was something like that. I'm not sure if it was, it was exactly like that. But... And Robert says, no, she's not. Don't call her that. Yeah. She's a bitch, but don't call her that. <laughs> Whereas Robert didn't defend Irish Tina at all when Michelle called her awful names. Yeah. Robert's... Robert's pretty awful, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm counting the days before both of them are gone. Why, really why are they still in it? It was announced months ago that I they were know. leaving. I it's, know. It's just... We have to wait for Irish Tina to have her baby. She's got ten more weeks to go, apparently. I know. Oh, this does take us to Christmas, I think. Cool. Anyway. Well, there's no Doctor on. Who Christmas special this year, so at least I'll have something to watch now. 
So we're getting to some of the dregs of the storylines for this week. Uh, oh. Oh, no. No, we've still got we to talk very... about Michael Grace Twitter Baby. Yeah, we have two very good storylines still to go. Yeah, but we've got a few just stragglers oh, in between. Yeah. I like I, I like this. I like that the Baileys are being given a real meaty story here. I like, I like some it. of it, but I like all of it. The Baileys are chatting about poor tea making skills, Ed's working patterns and Dev's requirement for new shelves when Aggie asks after James who apparently didn't come home last night. And for once it's a man who makes bad tea instead <laughs> yeah. of a woman. Ed assumes that James was at Bethany's having heterosexual sexual intercourse vis-a-vis his hole. Aggie and Michael clutch each other's collars just a little bit. <laughs> then James comes home and he's not in a good mood to chat. He's lost his phone. He thinks he's left it in some bloke's flat. Some bloke who knows he plays for county. This is potentially career-threatening news. And some bloke he's shagged. Yep. James goes through the events of the night as he tried to figure out where the guy's house was. Michael reckons he's stuffed but not like that. Then James remembers that there was the sound of church bells and he begs Michael to help him find out where that church was. Yeah, because... Because that'll narrow it down. How many churches are there? In Manchester. Or was it, was it Manchester? Or was it something else? The Southport? Something like that. Like... Later, Michael and James are at Roy's Rolls. It doesn't seem that that church hunting has been very successful. They explain to Aggie about the missing phone and Aggie's more interested in whether James practised safe sex. Yikes. Did you use a condom, son? Yeah. Michael has texted James's phone, which is actually the most sensible thing that he could have possibly done. Right. And the guy has actually agreed to meet at Freshco's car park later because James apparently hasn't put a passcode on his phone because of plot. And at this point, we think this whole storyline is about James getting his hole and whatnot. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was concerned. I was like, uh-oh. They're going to meet up with this guy and he's going to want money and to keep everything quiet. Yep, exactly and there's going I to be, going to a conspi- you know, it's like, oh no. Right. But in Fresco's car park, the guy's late, but then he shows up with a friend. And when he shows up with a friend, I'm definitely sure now this is going to go a little right. bit south. And he doesn't really no, look like James's type. James misidentifies which one of them is the guy that he slept with, which is quite amusing. And then they wind him up about him being the one and James kind of falls for it just a little bit before they... Uh, reveal that they're kind of pulling his leg. As the banter continues, Michael looks off and sees a woman he seems to recognise in the middle distance. Yes. In the van, Michael says that he thought he saw Grace and that she must have had the baby by now. And this is what I'm like, what? What have you missed here? Mm -hmm. She comes along again and Michael approaches her. She's not pleased to see him and tries to drive off, but not before Michael can see the baby. Baby. Michael yells at her what his address is and she speeds away. Then on Friday, at home, Aggie is appalled to learn that Michael's ex and daughter are living a stone's throw away and she wants to get the police involved. <laughs> He's about to go looking for her again when, whoop, she actually just turned up on the door. Yay! Grace claims that she didn't know they lived local, but Aggie is in no mood to let that go. Maybe if she'd answered any one of the million texts Michael sent her, she'd have had an idea. And Michael is oddly quiet as Aggie continues to read the riot act to the poor woman. Grace already regrets coming round and goes to leave, but Aggie isn't having any of that either and accuses her of kidnapping her own baby. Michael finally speaks up and calls Aggie off, and the two of them go off to talk at the Rovers. It turns out Michael hadn't taken the pregnancy news very well and had gone missing for a week or two, and things hadn't been right between the two of them anyway. He sa- she says that he has a good heart, but Tiana needs stability. He was too interested in his schemes, and he blew the deposit on a flat. This all sounds totally Michael. Absolutely. She had to leave for the good of their own However, daughter. However, 
did he really blow it on schemes? Or is this some of the money that he used to cover his father's... Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah. Michael talks through the changes in his own life. Which He's working with all Ed now. Much more tragic. And, yeah, and saving for his own place. He's a guy his daughter can rely on now. He was an idiot before, but he's a new man. And Grace thinks that things are moving too fast, and she freaks out, and she hurries away. Then later, Michael is filling Ed in on the events, and one, wondering if he's ever going to get to see his wheel ass again. When Grace's car pulls up, and she gets out with a bairn, and they all decamp to Roy's Rolls, because they've already been in the Rovers this episode, so they can't go back there. <laughs> Ed invites Grace and the kid back to their place. We'll see, she says. Then privately to Michael, Grace says that she wants nothing more to do with that fucking Aggie. And Michael promises that everything's going to be fine and continues to promise her the world. <sighs> Meanwhile... Meanwhile, Aggie's speaking to Adam about what Michael's rights are in terms of access. And they're interrupted when Grace and Michael come in with the baby. Michael isn't happy to see Adam and he makes such a big deal of it that Aggie has to explain that he's here to talk about access. Grace turns and leaves, leaving, uh, calling... Aggie interfering as always. Michael is pissed, and outside he blames his mum, but Grace doesn't need the hassle and she drives off. Later, Ed tries to tell uh, Michael that Aggie was only doing the right thing for him, and Aggie's in no mood to be consolidatory. Or what she thinks, what she she thought was the right thing. Grace is a whorebag, says Aggie, and Uh calmly Michael asks Aggie just to stay out of his business, and then he leaves. Uh That's as far as we get with that one. Yep. That's this is a good storyline. Interesting storyline. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. A surprising like storyline. Yes. I like that uh, we get a new character. Uh-huh. We see we get to see Michael as a dad now instead of Ooh. this goose that has all these crazy harebrained schemes with unicorns and um, plots on the moon and stuff. How well do you think he's going to adapt to being a father? I think he'd be surprisingly good at it because I think deep down he has a good heart. He's a good guy. And I think he has kind of settled down and is not quite into all these harebrained schemes. I think the whole Gemma P thing kind of, (laughs) kind of jolted him and made him realize that he needed to take a step back from all of that stuff because he, his, his morals were kind of clouded. It wasn't that long ago, though, that he was using hope to test out bouncy castles. But that was because he wanted to get his hole with um, Jude, or Jade. Jade, I keep on forgetting her name. I have to look up every every time she's been off for a couple of days, a week or two. Uh, And a nice little baby to look at as well. Yes, very cute little baby. We got two babies now Mm -hmm. on the show. Lots of babies, 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 babies. And then we're going to have an Irish Tina baby. Do you think Grace is a whorebag? No. I don't think she's either. No. However, it is kind of illegal to just run off and disappear like that. Mm-hmm. Aggie, know. I think, is off the school that no one's good enough for her son. Well, I think she feels that way about both of her sons. Because uh-huh. remember, she didn't like it when Michael went out with Michelle those few times. I mean... she's right to not like it but still you know she was all upset thinking that Michael had gotten Michelle knocked up and that Michelle was getting her greedy mitts into him for something or another you know and she was you know so concerned about James having safe sex with with the dude you know because obviously 
you know, she she doesn't ask if he was a nice guy or anything, or oh, do you, you know, is he is he nice? Is this somebody you're you're interested in? No, her mind immediately goes to, did you have safe sex so that you don't catch something from this? I think she seems happier with James's uh, sexual piccadillos than she is about Michael's. Hmm. Yeah, that's because James isn't going to get anybody knocked up. Yeah. Although Ed seems to think that he's going to get something. <laughs> I'm just... It is been done time for James to come out to his dad. I'm, I'm really hoping that that happens soon. Yeah. It's getting a little bit out of hand. Yeah, it really is. Well, I, like, uh, I, I like seeing Aggie being the battle axe that she's always been made out to be. Right. And interfering. She's always kind of been made out to be that. Well, maybe not interfering as much. But she's very protective of her family, I guess. Yes. I, I think... I think she's doing this more for herself than anything else, though. She wants to be the daughter she, and grandmother. Yeah, she wants to be grandma. Right. But she's going about it the wrong way. Indeed. Okay, we have a few stragglers, as I mentioned earlier. First one is adopting Max. Oh, oh I like and, this. And Lily. <laughs> On Wednesday, David is cleaning the barber's windows when Shona comes along. He's been thinking... He's thinking about adopting Max, so Shona can adopt Max and Lily. And, and Shona, Shona says, already guessed this, and is well into the is idea. Dangerous. David calls Shona a witch. <laughs> then back at number eight, David speaks... Affectionately, though. Right. David speaks to the kids about adoption. Lily doesn't mind and wants to know what's for pudding. Max is fine with it, so long as he gets to see Marion. And David is a little bit upset that everyone seems nonplussed about this. Right. Like, But they're kids. They don't really... I don't think kids, especially kids that have been raised, essentially raised by these two people mm. all this time. Yeah. Mm. And Lily is only getting adopted by Shona. Right, because she's already David's, David's child. There's an amusing scene tonight that I don't mention where uh, so there's a scene where uh, Michael and, and Grace are in Roy's roles with the baby and Shona announces that, oh, she's having a oh, baby I as well. Oh, I love that. And everyone's like, no, what? no, I'm having a kid as well. And, you but know, it's holding... kind of a wink to the audience. It was very much a wink because she's covered <laughs> up her bump with a tray. With a tray, right. <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh, oh, I mean, Lily, you know, we're adopting, you know, I'm adopting Lily. Although she's also adopting. And Grace is like, Mac. I have no idea who you are or what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Whereas she's in real life. I'm not feeling very well, so I called this next story A Jade in the Hand is Worth Two in the Bush. I don't know what I meant by that. No idea what I meant by that. On Friday, Hope has been a nightmare with Fizz and deliberately paints on her mum's top. I don't understand why Fizz is telling her to, to, to clean up and go do something else when she's happily painting there. It's not like she's playing a video game or no. watching TV. I think it was on the, uh, the dining room table. I think they need to tidy up for dinner now. Oh, yeah, she didn't say that, though. Uh, oh. Yikes. <laughs> you all right over there, In comes Evelyn, who thinks Fizz is the source of all the drama. Maybe you have pneumonia. Jade seems to be able to sort the situation by promising no maths for Hope if she tidies up. <laughs> so Jade and Hope are tidying, but it's more Jade than Hope. Oh, she's also going to do her makeup like Ariana Grande. Uh-huh. Which Hope's like, yeah, whatever. Well, no, she says she loves Ariana Grande. Either way, Evelyn is impressed, and then Fizz comes in and she's impressed, too. And Hope apologises for being naughty and then gives Jade a sly smile. Roman Stelly almost dropped an F-bomb on the Spongebob Squarecast singing an Ariana Grande song. She knew what she was doing. <laughs> of course she did. She knew she would get away with just going, can... <laughs> and yet this week she sang the theme song to Caillou. 
Yeah. Which was weird. Yeah. I don't... <laughs> Caillou is a really annoying Canadian... Is that the kid with leukemia? <laughs> and Stella said, yeah. But we, I cut that out. <laughs> oh, I do have a heart. I do. <laughs> our next storyline is the return of the Knicker Factory. This is our penultimate storyline. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, I hate this. This is really annoying. It's meant to be funny. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. It's really annoying. On Friday, Ed turns up at the factory. He needs stuff signed off by Nick. It's all the new fixtures and fittings. But Sally doesn't know anything about this and reckons her and I and Izzy's ideas of what Ed needs to be listening to because of the whole shareholder, shareholder thing. thing. Yeah, because remember, everybody's a shareholder, including those two women in the back who don't speak. Who don't speak but, but vote. Right. Izzy wants a pool table. Sally wants a chill-out room that's painted pink. Along comes Nick, pissed that he like was womb invited along to this. And Kirk and Sean want a slide with bouncy balls instead of a flight of stairs. And Izzy insists that they vote on it. And it passes. And Nick is scratching his head going, what the actual fuck? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, these are these are lower class people. They're dumb. They don't know. They don't know what they what they want. They they were they're gonna have bad ideas about things. Izzy's not going to worry uh, uh, about the fact that, you know, she can't climb up a slide <laughs> in a wheelchair. She's not worried about handicapped accessibility. You know, ADA compliance is what we'd call it over here. I don't know what you guys would call it over there. Uh, well, it's it's Americans with Disabilities Act, so it wouldn't be called that over there. That would be very misplaced if it was. <laughs> Outside, Nick and Ed talk over the changes. There's conflicting instructions, so Ed thinks he needs to check with Gary and Derek, but Nick talks Ed into listening to him instead. And him only. And that's as far as we get with that. And that's all filler, so who cares, right? Right. Nick Nick was very weirdly placed this week, wasn't he? Because he shows up in, this, in the final storyline this week. <laughs> well, does he? I don't think I've mentioned him. In the, in the rovers where he's standing there with his food. Oh, yeah, definitely don't mention that. <laughs> it's so weird and and weird. Get another table, Nick. Right, Fucking there's, hell. there's lots of other tables. Or you could sit at the bar. Right. Because you're Billy No Mates anyway. And he's, so. just, and he's just standing there looking like a doof. Right. Yikes. Our anyway. last link tonight is Paul's secret. And we're going to pick up from Wednesday. So, Billy is being awful with Paul, calling him a machine, and that he made that sausage disappear in seconds. <laughs> but not like that. No, I think like that. He very quickly decides to ask Paul Maybe if he wants to move like in. Maybe also like that. Was that too soon to ask Paul if he wanted to move in? I thought so. Well... It'll save him bumping uh, into Rita in the shower, he says. So maybe because of that. And also, let's remember, Paul and Billy were already living together at one point, so this isn't like... This isn't necessarily new. Right, and Billy does say, if you don't fancy it or you don't enjoy it, you can always move out. No big deal. Right, yeah. And let's remember, Summer really wants Paul to move back in. Right. Yeah. Then Billy gets a call about a meeting to discuss the church roof that he'd forgotten about and he remarks that his diary's gone missing. Hmm. Billy speaks to a uniformed Craig. It seems there's been a lot of break-ins in the area and Craig gives a vague description that sounds like one of Billy's elderly parishioners who's also been broken into. Now, Billy is... A f- is still a relatively youngish man. He's like our age, yes. Billy, yeah, probably. Yeah, early forties. Yeah, so he's not he's not a senior citizen. No, he's not in his eighties. No. Why the hell doesn't he have his his schedule and his diary and his calendar on his freaking phone? 
Because plot. Because of plot. At home, Billy explains to Paul about all the people who got broken into when they were at church. He thinks someone who's he thinks that the person who stole the diary has been performing the robberies. And Paul that's briefly because thinks of a conversation with with Craigie. Because he bumps into Craigie, who's in his uniform, uh you know, and on his own block where he lives when he's not supposed to be. And because he popped in to get a water because he's walking to someplace else. I think you're taking a long time to talk about something that I've already talked about. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> because this is what puts it in Billy's mind because it's another one of his parishioners. Been, yeah. yeah, I've just but, finished saying but, that. But Craig refuses. No, you said something about Paul. No. I thought you did. No. And and yet Craig can no, neither confirm nor deny that that's that particular woman. Even though this might be important and it might be a clue. No, I can't tell you that. This inspired me to post that clip from a few months ago. The where, no flies on you? No, where uh, Max right. opens his heart right. about the pills aren't going to help me because my life's so fucked up. And right. Craig goes, I'll leave See you to ya. it. <laughs> at home, Bill explains to Paul about all the people who got broken into when they were at church. And he thinks someone who's, he thinks that the person who stole the diary has been performing the robberies and he thinks Bernie might have something to do with this. In the pub, Paul doesn't think his mom would stoop that low, which is weird because I think Paul really does think that his mom would stoop that low. And it's weird for us because we saw Bernie in the church. Yep. In comes Gemma who got Paul's message. He tells it to sit down and then goes over the robberies and Billy's theory and Bernie's possible involvement. It turns out that one of the robberies happened this morning when Bernie was at the hospital with her, so it must have been someone else. And back home, Gemma and Paul are getting some stuff and Gemma asks Paul to get a hold of from under the stairs, but that's where Paul finds a bag of clearly swagged goods. Where the fuck's this come from? asks Gemma. And Gemma admits to Paul that Bernie left her for ten minutes, but surely not long enough to do any robbery. Paul reckons that Kel must be involved and starts taking photos of the stuff, saying that if the police get wind of this, Gemma's going to be screwed. Right, and she's going to lose her endorsement. Right. Gemma and Paul catch up with Benny at the Rovers. They've packed her stuff and Gemma tells her about the stash of knockoffs. Benny says, it's nothing to do with me. She's been working for God. Just like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> she twigs that they think she's a burglar and stole Billy's diary. Do you honestly think that? She asks. Yep, says Gemma without missing a beat. Benny refuses to live where she's been accused of such atrocities. She calls him a kangaroo court and this is the worst day of her life. And Bernie meets up with Kel and Roy's roles later. She explains about the accusations the kids have levied at her, and Kel doesn't really react and blames Paul on his sick mind. Bernie asks for a favour. She's homeless tonight and she wants to stay with him, but he says, Oh, I've got a bush pipe, so no can do, sorry. Yeah, which is weird. Because if he has a burst pipe, then he can't stay at his flat either. I think he, he must said he'd be... stay with a mate or something like that. Yeah, why can't why can't why can't Bernie Bernie stay there as well? It begins with huh? a P, <laughs> and it ends with a lot. Paul and Gemma are seeing the quads at the hospital. She's worried if one of the quads falls over, and there's only her and Ches around to help. That was quite funny. <laughs> she doesn't know how she's going to tell Ches after months of backing Bernie up. She's going to need to tell the cops she has changed. She wants a better world for her kids. That was lovely. And as if that wasn't enough to prove to everyone that Gemma's changed. The first scene on Friday has Gemma and Chesney at the hospital and Gemma looks like she's polishing off a kebab and she looks like she's about to belch and she kind of holds her chest a little bit and uh-huh. opens her mouth ready to make a belching noise and then goes, nope, it's passed. 
Previously, she would have definitely been. Right, yes. She's absolutely. definitely changed. Yes. Chess explains about Benny not coming home last night, and Gemma explains about what happened yesterday, but it seems Chess has some idea about the stuff under the stairs after all. Yes. Then Paul and Billy are chatting in Roy's roles. Paul's thought about the offer to move in and would love to, but he's going to have to check with Rita first to make sure that she won't be too lonely. Oh, that's very sweet of him. In comes Gemma explaining that the stuff under the stairs belonged to Chesney's mum somehow. I'm not sure why that ends up in his house, but... Because uh, Fizz... Yeah, Fizz says that she brought Fizz, it back. Fizz brought it back from his mum's house that... Um, his mom wanted to give to Gemma because of their engagement and the babies, I think. Oh, okay. Like jewellery and stuff. They track Benny to the rovers and Gemma apologises. Billy puts two and two together and reckons maybe Kel was a culprit. And funnily enough, Kel got uh, autocorrected to Kev at this point. <laughs> and Benny confirms that Kel accompanied her to the church. So, so have, it could have been him after all. So we have Bernie and Birdie. We have Kev, Kel, Ken. Uh-huh. Bethany and Beth. Bethany and Beth. Michelle and Michael, uh-huh. James, Jake, Jade, Jade, <laughs> Jude. We had Jude. Don't we have a Josh? Yeah, Josh the rapist. Oh, Josh the rapist. That's Remember right. Him? He was blind for a while. And uh, what's Kev's kid's name? Oh, and Jack. Right. Which is Izzy. Izzy's kid is Jack. Jake. Is Jake, and Jack is and Kev's Zach. kid. <laughs> And then we have. What's your point, caller? And then we have Alia, Asha, Addy. Addy, Abby. Uh-huh. Can I remind you that I'm not feeling very well as we just go through naming all the characters? No, it's just we have so many characters that have really similar names. I, I got that's where we were going with it. Yeah. Bernie suggests calling him, but Paul doesn't reckon that's a good idea. Gemma wants to drag her mum to Kells to get this sorted. She explains about the bush pipe, but Gemma doesn't give a shit. Let's get going. So they turn up at Kells. There's no one home and no sign of a bush pipe either. Gemma mm. wants to call the cops, but Benny says that she's no grass, and instead she pans a window in with a brick. Meanwhile, Paul sneaks in to see Rita. He explains about Billy's offer. He doesn't want to move out if it's going to make her sad. And Rita says, this is it's the nicest the thing anyone, anyone has ever said, said to me. To she's I- been in the show for like, a million years. And I think this... she's winding him up a little bit. Oh, let's hope so. She's chuffed for Paul and Billy and claims to have seen this coming, so she goes off to get some shampers for them. And Kells, Bernie reveals that the only reason she's with him was because he's so ugly he would never cheat on her. Then Bernie spots a laptop hidden away on top of a set of shelves and she retrieves it and manages to knock a shoebox of photos down in the process. The laptop right, is the Daniel's. the shoebox was on top of the laptop. And the photos are of Paul as a child. As well as some other Hundreds of photos boys. of Paul and some other kids. Yikes. Which were conveniently on top of the laptop. Back on the street, Bernie has the laptop and the photos in an envelope. She wants to hear what Paul's got to say about all this. So they turn up at Billy's and Gemma immediately gives Paul a hug. Bernie explains what happened and what they found at Kells, and she shows Paul the photos. Did he mess about with you? demands Bernie. And Paul pretends not to know what she's talking about, but he pretends very badly. And next we see him, he's weeping as he explains that the photos were taken, and when they were taken, and how Gemma had been there earlier in that day out in the country, but Gemma was told to leave, and it was just Paul and Kell. And they walked for miles, and it was hot, and that's when Kell told him to strip, and they went for a swim. And it was a fun time until Kel plied him with booze and ciggies and started taking pictures. Just messing about. Just being a kid. 
souvenirs Kel Colt depicts. And yeah. after every time that the photo sessions were done, and after every time that he was abused, Kel would thank him. Which is creepy. And the first time that they did the deed, yeah. he said thank you afterwards. Gemma and Bertie are in bits, and Paul accuses Bernie of pretending it never happened, and she never asked why Paul had become so angry when he was a kid. Instead, she decided to throw him out. Paul says that she failed him. And uh, this is enough for Bernie to leave. And Gemma beats herself up because of the whole twin thing. And Paul is quicker to forgive her than he is his mother. Gemma is shocked that Paul loved Kel. She apologises, but he says that she's nothing to be sorry for. He says he lost his family because of this, and they cry in each other's arms. And then Paul explains more of the lies that Kel spun about loving him and about telling him he was special. But Paul realises now that he wasn't loved, and he wasn't special. He was just a kid who was being abused. Right. Gemma wants to go to the police, but Paul can't go through with that. The thought of the questions and then looking at the photos, he'd rather die, he says. Gemma doesn't think he can let Kel get away with it. What, there's other boys that are involved, but right, Paul and, seems... and Yeah, Paul seems not to care about those other boys. Yeah, and all those photographs are ancient, and he seems to have stopped it now. Right, that's because he has a phone now. He doesn't need to print out pictures. They're all on his phone, I betcha. But these... Boys, whoever they are, deserve to get some closure Justice on this as well. As well. Yeah. So Paul says that uh, they've got all these souvenirs now. They're all gone, but Gemma says that they're not because they're still in his head. And as Paul explains this, we see Bernie hovering about outside the police station. Back at the house, Gemma thinks Bernie would have uh, would have done the right thing had she known about it. And then we cut to Bernie inside the police station, explaining about the stolen laptop, and she knows whose it is, and she knows who stole it. And there's something else that she needs to tell them. Back in the house, Paul says, let sleeping dogs lie. It's what he wants. And then back in the police station, Bernie wants to report historic sexual abuse that happened to her son. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. Woofed. That final scene that lasted about four minutes. Woofed. That just kind of went back and forth between Paul and Gemma and Bernie outside the uh, After, you know, it was only 20 minutes ago, she says, I ate no grass. She ate no grass. So this is a big deal for her. This is a really big deal for her. And this is really the first sign of her ever doing the right thing. <laughs> Since she's been I in the think, show. I think she's she's genuinely shamed. Yep. Because she knows this. what Paul's saying is true. Right. That she put her own happiness ahead of uh, Paul. Paul was just a disturbance. He was just disrupting. Right. He was a bad influence on the house and it was right. better that he had gone. She wasn't interested in and the that, reasons you know, why. And, and she never asked acting, and she admits that she never asked. And that the acting up is what drove Kel away. Right. So she didn't have Kel anymore, which yeah. But is this is this Bernie's story to tell? She's forcing Paul's hand with this and Paul right. doesn't seem that he wants his hand forced. Right. But all the way through However, this Paul hasn't wanted to do any of this until he's done it. Right. Plus, as you just as you pointed out, there were other boys who were abused and she has the evidence of that as well. And they deserve justice right. as well. Plus, you know, as I pointed out, yes, those photos are ancient, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have photos on his lap on his own laptop or on his own phone. We really don't have any concrete evidence that he's not still doing this. And I'm no expert on this, but I'm not sure if pedophiles grow out of it. Right? No, they're they're never satisfied with the the souvenir collection. They always want to add to it. Right. That's kind of how I. I can assume 
It's yeah. Like, not see what I works. mean, they might be dormant for a number of years. It's like with, with serial killers can be dormant, but then, you know, you have to scratch that itch. So justice needs to be done. So I also feel like Bernie is she's making up for lost time. She's really ashamed of herself that she didn't catch this sooner right. and that she didn't know. So she's doing the mother thing. She's protecting her son. Yep. She's defending her son. I'm glad she's doing it, but I feel like it's going to cause a little bit more tension between her and Paul. This isn't going to solve things immediately between no, the two of them. But it is going to put Kel behind bars, and that's a good thing. And pedophiles don't get treated very well in prison. No. And I'm happy about that. They have special wings for those people, for their own protection. Yes. Mm. I mean, look look what happened to Josh the Rapist, and he was, he was raping adults. Right. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, it, it's... A really heavy storyline, but I think this has been done... Very well. Very well, and it, it serves Gemma uh, being a more sympathetic and a little bit more restrained, I think. She's and a more concrete it. character. Right. I think, Much more well-rounded. Yep, I think she's a better uh, participant in this storyline than she would have been before the, the quads were born. Absolutely. And I remember when we first found out about this... You know, and we were like wondering how he's going to be found out, how this is going to work, how are they going to, you know, and we were kind of speculating that Billy is just going to crack and tell Gemma and her mom. As Billy tends to do, but. And I'm glad that's not what happened. Yeah, me too. I'm glad they found it themselves, that they were willing to kind of listen to Billy and Paul about the possibility. Uh-huh. Even that Kel was responsible. Right. Because, you know, Bernie especially could have said, you know what? I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go look. You know, I trust him. But she didn't. She went to that flat. She's the one who broke in. She's the one who found the laptop. Yeah. She's the one who found the picture. I think she was suspicious the whole time of this bush pipe nonsense. Yeah. It seemed that this is the one time that she's asked... Kel for anything and they gave her this bullshit excuse that was right. bullshit and clearly bullshit from right. the moment it yeah. dropped out of his mouth so I think she was off the opinion that yeah, maybe maybe there's something going on here so I don't think she needed all that much coaxing to be right. involved in it but yeah once she, she found all that stuff and she went back to, to Billy's and when she said when she confronted it uh-huh. and said I'm not waiting for you to explain this to me right. did, did he mess with you? Yeah Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. What a question for a mother to ask her son. Right. Did the man that I was with mess with you? Right. Fucking hell. Oh. Yeah. Oh. That was a goosebumps kind of end to Friday's episode. And you know what? She's a grandmother now. She's got the quads. And Joseph. There's another J. Joseph. He's always in the bath. That's fine. We never well, see yeah, but if he's in the bath and Kel's in the house, that's not a good thing. Yikes. Oh, what's Chesney going to think about this? Because remember, Kel has been left alone with Joseph. And it was just for an afternoon, but that's... That's enough. Long enough. And he got to ride around in, in Kel's cool yellow car. Right. Remember? Uh-huh. Yeah. This is... Chesney is not... Oh, Shit's going to hit the fan next week, I think. 
Because Jesse's about to find out about this next week, right? Of course he is. Everybody's going to find out about it. And see, that's the thing that may not be great for Paul. Because at least David was able to come to terms with it kind of in his own time. Yeah, slowly. And decide when he wanted to tell people about it. Paul's not going to have that luxury if this is in the police report. Do you think Paul, all this time, thought that this was a kind of legitimate love affair or... I think he did until Billy said, wait a second, you were 14 years old. And then he saw that picture of the two of them together. And he's like, wow, I look so young. Right, so he hasn't been dealing with this at all. I was a child. Right. Yeah. He says, you know, he had said before to Billy that deep down he knew it was wrong. Mm -hmm. But he still believed that this was a genuine relationship with this older man, which... They were in love. (sighs) He loved them. He said that a number of times tonight. So awful. Oh, Poor Paul. What was your moment of the week? (sighs) There are a number number that are good contenders. There is Daniel and Beth reconciling on the bedroom floor. There is Billy and Paul getting back together and smooching and I love you and we're back together now. (sighs) There is Paul holding the picture and saying this was the first time and and like actually vocalizing all of this stuff, which I don't think he's ever done before. No, he's never explained it. There is that final scene where Bernie is like, I'd like to report abuse. And I think that was my pick. I think what it represented and what the shift that it showed in her was, was the best part of this week's episodes. Yeah. I think it's... And it was just so nice just to see Bernie not being irritating. Right, yeah. I'm really kind of tossing it between that and, and Billy and Paul getting back together because I genuinely did go, aww. It, yeah. it genuinely meant something to me for these two characters to get back together. It's it's the relationship, I think, that I am the most invested in on the street. Right. And, and it's a happy thing. We've had so much sad stuff, and we have so much sad stuff this week that it was this bright ray of sunlight. Yeah, we went with fun last week. Oh, yeah, we went with Gemma, Gemma's face when she found out that she was 60 grand richer. Yes, a highly popular move, by the way. <laughs> and you <laughs> no, thought people... No, no, I'm being sarcastic. It wasn't popular at all. I think some people liked it. Yeah, I think three people liked it. Oh, well. The rest of you can just go fuck off. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be popular that we go with Bernie. But I think you're right. I think we need to go with Bernie because we've never given it to Bernie before and it's quite possible we'll never give it to Bernie again. Right. I mean, that whole scene, the, the four minutes, the, the backwards and forwards, I think the whole thing right. is, is a moment of the week. And how but, tough it is for her to walk through those doors. Yep. But while it, while it is the whole scene, which includes Gemma again and it includes Paul, who's been a moment of the week winner before right I, no it's the, it's really the clip that i'm taking is off bernie and the and i'd like to report abuse yeah the, the it's really because right. i mean the Gemma and paul stuff is great don't get me wrong but we've seen the two of them reconcile in the past many times <laughs> Backwards you know powers. the back and the forth gizmo thing right and everything and i think it's genuinely bernie yeah that's her moment of the week moment of the week which uh, scene with Nick is your boring moment of the week? 
<laughs> Actually, I was going to go with, with Peter's need for a winter coat. I'll quite find that quite, quite amusing. As you know, I, that I, relationship irritates me. I, I, I liked uh, Nick needlessly getting involved in <laughs> it just burning there. joysticks. Right. And just standing there. And just standing there. With confused with his mouth hanging open saying... And then he sits down with her stuff when they leave. Right. Was there really no other place to sit in the rivers? Sit your ass down, Nick. Fucking hell. That's her. Is it? Ah. Fine. <laughs> yeah, that's her. Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. I thought it was funny. It was it was weird and out of place. It was weird. And it didn't make sense. It was a weird moment of the week. It, it was, was a boring it was, moment of the week. It was a weird moment of the it, week. Yeah, it was weird because I can think of other characters you could have put in that where that would make sense, but Nick isn't one of them. It was one minute past ten and I am 90 seconds away from going to my bed. All right. If you find yourself sitting in a supermarket car park staring at a small yellow Italian hatchback, maybe put down those high-powered binoculars and drop us a line. <laughs> We're the talk of the street at gmail.com for email, and that's also how you can get us on Skype to leave a voicemail or plunk a buck or two in our virtual tip jar on PayPal. Please, for Christmas all is coming. other social meets, we are at Corey Podcast, so that's Twitter, Facebook, and Insta. Please follow us on the Twitter and like, review, and subscribe on the iTunes. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Uh, have a wonderful Thanksgiving if you're celebrating it. Yes, <laughs> to our like five American fans. <laughs> we will be back next week when hopefully my congestion has cleared up, finally fucked off, and we'll be back with more Dog talk of the, of the street. street. Bye. Cheerio. Joy for Tom. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.